Uncle Marv here with another episode of the IT Business Podcast, the show where we try to help IT professionals run their business better, smarter, and faster. This show is presented by NetAlly, your number one ally for network diagnostic testing and troubleshooting. So folks, one of the things that we try to do on this show, besides all the other stuff, is to bring you new insights and new people to talk about things that we know we should talk about in our industry, but for some reason don't. So I have a new friend on the show who is a proclaimed leadership geek, and I'm talking about Grace Judson. Grace, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I am pretty good. So I know that people are going to go, okay, leadership geek, what exactly does that mean? <laughs> well, it kind of means whatever you want it to mean when it comes to leadership, but I, I call myself that because... I look at so much of, I guess, everything in my life and in other in my clients' lives and so on from the standpoint of what does this mean for how I'm showing up in the world and what what that means in terms of leadership. I'm firmly of the belief that we are all leaders and not in the snowflake, you know, yes, we're all leaders in our own way kind of thing. But from the in the sense that the way we show up every day. And even if it's just walking to the mailbox and saying hello to the neighbor, gives the people who see us permission to either emulate that because they like what they see or do the exact opposite because they don't like what they see. But in either event, we are being leaders. And I can look back, in, you know, all the way back to when I was two or three and my parents were arguing and I would turn their faces toward each other and say, so that they would see each other and see how that thread has really been all the way through my life in terms of professional career and where it has led me to now uh, and the ways in which I interacted with the leaders in my corporate career and so on. Okay, I'm going to I'm I don't know if you've been asked this question, but as you were describing that and saying that as a child you would turn your parents' faces to each other. Of course, I got to ask the question, how old were you when you did that and and how did that go over with the folks? Well, I actually have only very dim memories of it. So but I am told, you know, it's a family story, you know how family stories go. Yeah, yeah. It's a family story that uh, this is something that I did when they would argue, um, which, sadly, they were prone to do. They were, I'm happy that they got married because I'm here and I wouldn't be here if they hadn't. But in all fairness to each of them, they were not really well suited. Um, but the thing that fascinates me about that story, and I believe it, you know, it could be, um, made up somehow, but I do believe it because my parents told me, and we believe our parents, right? Um, but it was that question of being able to see each other as, as people, as humans, rather than as somebody that they were having an argument with, you know, or rather than as the embodiment of the argument. Right. And that's really, you know, where I come from is that we are Individuals, I have a good friend who says we are all an experiment of one, which really speaks to that sense of individuality. 
in terms of our work and in terms of how we lead and how we respond to being led. Interesting. So, of course, that means that you started with conflict resolution early. (laughs) (laughs) Hadn't thought of it that way, but you're right. (laughs) Um, But your your background in history doesn't necessarily lead you to where I'm going to try to guide you today because one of the things that I noticed when we spoke and also by going on your on your site that a lot of what you talk about really could resonate with tech companies like mine because mm-hmm. we deal with a lot of things that have to deal with with people uh keeping projects uh on a timely schedule and things of that nature and it seems as though that's where you have uh decided to put your focus now how did you it how is. did you get here oh it's a torturous turning and twisting <laughs> path, I'll tell you. No, it's not that bad. I ended up in tech. I was a software developer back when they still called us programmers. Um, I am about to date myself severely, but I could make COBOL sit up and beg. Um, and I don't say that lightly. I coded some systems, business intelligence systems that they said couldn't be done. Um And I loved it. But at some point, you kind of, when I finished that system and it was a year plus of work, I was like, okay, there really is no next challenge. And I'm not, I hope I'm not coming off sounding arrogant about that. It's just, that's where I was. And I moved into project management and program management and became, ended up as the director of the technology consulting arm in a software company. And I, through all of that, there was so much experience about how tech projects and implementations with the best of plans can still go haywire. Ah, That's a bit strong. Can go off the rails a bit, can get slowed down, can hit speed bumps, can go over budget and so on. And, from my own experience in leading some significant change initiatives that had a technology component, um, and then in working as a consulting director for a software company and seeing how those projects would run into bumps, I knew that there was something missing in the general industry of how we do tech implementations, and I wanted to fix that. Because right. I think, I think people, people matter and the work experience matters. And so much of the work experience is crap. I'll just put it very bluntly. Yeah. And it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It should be challenging. It should be exciting. It should be fun. You're right. And that's one of the things that I recognized right away. I mean, even on your website, one of the, one of the main pages talks about solving the people problems that derail tech projects. And that's mm-hmm. something that, you know, I have now I've not talked about that on the show specifically, except to call out maybe another company that I felt was, you know, derailing a project because project management is really a big part of our job, whether it's a oh. server implementation, whether it's a software migration and all those things. It's a project, but mm-hmm. projects are really guided by people, not checklists. Right. And so I wanted to chat with you about that and, and see how can we make these things better. So 
I guess the first question I should really ask you is one of the things that you have said in your mission that I've seen is that one of the first things to do is make corporate life fun. It should be. I, I think I say more fun. More fun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so and they, I'm not advocating even a little bit. I mean, I think the days of foosball and you know barbecue Fridays and whatnot have hopefully faded into the rearview mirror. Fun is not about about that kind of thing. I mean, sure, those it can be fun to play games and it can be fun to get together with people for, for a barbecue or whatever. But the way I'm looking at fun is more in terms of the engagement and enjoyment that people have when they're working in an environment that is supportive of who they are as an individual and challenges them in appropriate ways that they are open to being challenged not from the standpoint of, okay, you know, how do I want to put this? It's not about challenging somebody to do something they don't want to get involved in. I mean, sometimes we all have to do that. That's a fact of life in and out of the office. But challenging them to grow in the things that they are interested in and want to be more engaged in, more involved with, to learn more about. And that's the kind of fun that I'm really talking about. All right. So it sounds like, so in my mind, my first thought was those are things that we should probably find out about if we're, if we're the owner or if we're the person that's hiring people, that's something that we should find out as we're hiring them so that we know what is it that interests them? What is it that's going to drive them? But of course, a lot of times we're put in situations where that's not the case. We don't get to pick who we mm -hmm. work with, or right. if it's a situation where, you know, we're working with a client, you know, yeah, we may have picked the client, you know, from the, from the global perspective, but in terms of a project, we don't necessarily pick who we work with there. So right. how do we kind of make sure that we get there at the start of a project or the start of a, you know, you know, conglomeration and uh, in, in, in working together. Well, as you say, we don't we don't really have choices in terms of who we work with. If we are at the mercy, I'll say, of senior leadership that is saying, "Okay, we have X client, go forth and and do this project with them." That's one situation. We don't have a choice. Um, I have been fortunate in my consulting career. I mean, obviously, as, as a consultant on my own, I have the luxury of choice. But I was very fortunate when I worked for another company and was working in consulting that almost all the clients were great. Not all. Um, the real thing, though, is, and, and here's where I get a little, I don't necessarily know that it is, the technology project manager has got a lot on their plate in terms of managing the plan, the timeline, the resources, dealing with the hiccups that inevitably come up and so on. The client project owner is not necessarily equipped to handle the people issues. It's a skill that they may not be um, trained in or expertise have expertise in. 
the challenge for somebody who is put into a situation where they are, they have to work with the people that they have to work with, it really comes down to being open to understanding who each one of them is as an individual. Because even if everybody is basically thrown onto this project willy-nilly, um, there are still going to be aspects of each person that you as a leader can tap into and respond to, and that means they will respond to you. They may not be thrilled to be there, but if you recognize them as an individual and you understand their thoughts about the project that you're working on together, you'll have a lot more opportunity to influence them in ways that will get your project going on a smoother path. Does that answer your question? <laughs> I, I think it does. I think it does. Now, before we go too far along, I'm sure there are people going, okay, how is this going to relate to me and my tech company? And, and we'll get to that because we want to talk about some of the people problems uh, mm -hmm. that can derail these these projects. But let's talk about from your point of view, how is it that you can help companies in terms of if we if we know that we've got some big projects coming up or we think that things are going fine, but yet customers are always complaining at the end, how do how do companies get to the point where they can reach out to somebody like you and say, help us? Oh, well, thank you for asking that. Um, it comes down to recognizing that so often when you're doing a technology implementation, the problems that come up appear to be kind of blanket resistance from, let's just say, the end user team. Because the end user team has been chugging along merrily, doing their thing the way they've always done it. Now, all of a sudden, their leadership is saying, hey, we've got this new thing. It is the best thing since sliced bread. You're going to love it. It's going to be implemented. Here's your training. Here's how it's going to work. But what I have seen over and over and over again is that there are three types of what typically is called resistance, but what is really a reaction. And if you can recognize that this is going on and you need help in detangling it, or if you can recognize that there is some kind of resistance on the, on the recipient side, on the client side, whether that's internal or external, it isn't something to just roll through and try to push people to, okay, you know, quit the resistance and get on the, get on board. I have had conversations with people who have been in situations where literally leadership said, the train is leaving the station. You're either on it or you're not. Now that immediately brings up immense anxiety in everybody involved because now everybody's thinking, OMG, is my job in danger? Am I going to be able to do this? Can I learn it? Then there are other people, and I have worked with some really successful change initiatives, technology-related initiatives, where the people who appeared to be resisting were actually saying, hey, look over here. I think you've overlooked this particular piece of the puzzle this makes me uneasy because I think it, it could impact the success of the whole thing. Mm. So when you see resistance, this is a long-winded answer to what should have been an easy, a, a short question. When you see this, these kinds of resistance or when you see resistance and it feels like it's 
heading in a challenging direction, that's the time to step back and either do your own work to understand what's actually going on or to bring in someone who understands the process of how to understand. Okay. So I assume that these are going to be the larger the project, the more obstacles or the more chances there are at resistance. Typically, yes. Okay. So for smaller companies that are just doing, say, a weekend server migration or something like that, most of the time we're not going to believe that we need help with that process or something like that. Am I reading that correctly, or is there a chance that the smaller projects can be just as tough as the larger projects? They can be. It depends on how involved the end user and the client team has been and whether they understand what the implications are for them, really understand, not just kind of think they might understand. You know, if you're talking about a server migration, okay, let's say this is a server migration for and, and customer service reps are going to be impacted in some way. The system's going to be down for a while if you're doing a server migration in most cases, right? So, okay, if I don't have access to the system, what does this mean for my job? And if we're looking at the entire stakeholder population, if a customer needs to access something online and the, and the system is down for, you know, good reasons, and if something goes wrong in the migration, how long is it going to impact? You know, I have one client who is at the mercy of a large, I will not say any name, name any names here, but at the mercy of a large uh, technology company for how he runs his business. And if things are down and he's not getting good answers from the customer service people because they don't know, you have a problem. And it could be a very simple server migration. It could be, you know, a tiny little upgrade to the software, but oops, something went wrong. If you're not informing the stakeholders about what is happening, and very often the the bottom of the heap, if you will, is uninformed, then you are running into risk factors that are really, it becomes unforced errors in a lot of cases. All right. So communication breakdown sounds like uh, that's one of those areas that we always run into, not everybody being on the same page. And um, I'll get a little bit more into that. But one of the things I want to do before we get too far is as we're talking, I want to remind our listeners uh, that we will be, or not remind, I want to announce to the listeners, because we haven't done it earlier, uh, that you will be joining me again on a live show uh, mm -hmm. coming up on Wednesday, October 4th. And that will be the regular weekly live show, uh, Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. So as you're listening to this and you're hearing us talk, I, I want people to jot down some thoughts and some questions that uh, you can come back and ask us on the live show or you can email the show ahead of time and we'll see about getting them answered there. So, Grace, you started to talk about, you know, communication as one of those yeah. things that we need to make sure that that happens. Obviously, in, you know, major projects – giving the entire timeline an expectation of how long it will take because one of the biggest things that I know that we run into is that we say, oh, 
Yeah, server migration. Yeah, yeah, we'll take you down Friday night, and we'll have you back up sometime on Saturday. But somehow Sunday rolls in, maybe a Monday morning, and, of course, everybody's frustrated, like you mentioned, not being able to work. Uh, That is the biggest thing. What are some of the most recognizable people problems that uh, interfere with these types of projects? Well, when it comes to communication, uh, I think a lot of what I see a lot, you've heard of the curse of knowledge. <laughs> we've, we've certainly cursed knowledge for sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. The curse of knowledge basically says that the expert knows so much that it is very hard for them to recognize that somebody who is just coming in cold doesn't know anything at all. So typically, even when it comes to a a server migration, you've got people who are experts at doing server migrations. They know exactly how to do it. They know how to deal with problems when they come up. It may take longer, like you say, instead of just being a 24-hour thing, it may expand, but they still know how to keep. and, And when there are problems, they are nose down, problem solving, figuring out how to fix it. Somebody needs to be communicating to the people that are impacted and have no idea what's going on that, okay, we've run into a problem. A lot of times people who are dealing with problems don't like to give an estimated time frame because they're afraid they're going to be held to it. Um, but to say we run into a problem, we anticipate that we can probably fix it by we're not, that may slip, you know, it's, it's about being honest, you know, but also recognizing that the people who are sitting around drumming their fingers on the desk, waiting for the server to come back to life, need something, even if it's, we're working on it and we don't know yet, because that at least tells them that they matter. And that their experience in this process is important to the people who are working on the problem. Saying nothing leaves people going, okay, is it just me that I can't get in here? I mean, they start making up all kinds of stories and spreading rumors. And if they are, again, just for the customer service example that I brought up earlier, if they're responsible then for talking to customers, that can then really do some reputational damage and so on and so on and so on. I mean, the the lack of communication mushrooms into much bigger problems than people think. Well, and how you communicate that, I'm sure, plays a big part because, you know, a customer asking, hey, when will we be done, you know, a simple, I'm not sure, I'm working on it, I'll let you know, might suffice. But if we are frustrated and we're like stop bothering me i will i will let you know well and that's why i say you need somebody who's responsible for the communication right because that person can then specifically step away and issue updates without waiting for people to come back and say well what's going on the more proactive you can be about letting people know even if you don't know hey you know we thought this was going to be done by five o'clock Saturday afternoon. We ran into something. 
that we didn't expect. We're working on it. We hope to have it back up by Sunday morning. We will let you know the status as we proceed. And then freaking let them know, you know, because it's almost, it isn't worse, but it's pretty bad if you say, we'll let you know, and then you vanish. Then you don't. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And that's just, I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing that you need to be aware of, not just when a problem comes up, but also when you're just informing people about a change that will happen. You know, don't spring a server upgrade on people on Friday afternoon. Tell them about it, you know, depending on the size of the project, you want to back your information up further and further in the calendar. Tell them on the previous Friday, hey, just so you know, we're going to be doing a server migration next Friday. It's going to take the system down at X o'clock. We anticipate it will be back on Saturday at Y o'clock. We will let you know what the status is as we proceed and whether we're going to be down for longer than that. It's simple. All right. And it means so much to the end users. So I'm going to, I'm going to preempt a question that could show up during the live show and ask you now. Okay. Because one of those things that I think hinders a project could be difficult clients. And mm-hmm. you mentioned the scenario right there where let people know when the project is happening and don't wait until Friday. And I'll say this, I have a client and this is a client I talk about a lot. So my customers will, will know to some degree that I will know that we're doing a major project weeks in advance. Mm-hmm. But the gatekeeper there doesn't want to tell anybody or doesn't send an email. And there have been times where I have showed up to an office and they're like, oh, why are you here? And I'm like, oh, did you not get the email? Did you not get? And they're like, no, they never tell us. That's a frustrating thing. That's maddening. And, you know, again, without knowing a ton more about this client, and clearly that's not something appropriate for here and now. This is the kind of situation where I might go to that gatekeeper. You know, if I'm on site anyway, okay, I've done what I need to be doing there. I'm about to leave. I would go find that gatekeeper and say, am I crazy? This is where I don't know if I'm going to recommend a book to y'all right now. Okay. It is called Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It. It is by a man called Christopher Voss, that is a V-O-S-S. He is an ex, he was, I should say, the F, the lead FBI hostage negotiator, international hostage negotiator. He now runs a consultancy on negotiation. But his tools in the book are both a lot of fun to play with, very simple, often counterintuitive, and not just for negotiation. It's the one book I think everybody on the planet should read. So that said, um, one of his tools is called the no oriented question. And this is where you go. In this case, I would say, go to that gatekeeper and say, look, am I crazy to think that it might be a good idea if people knew that I was going to be here to make a change? Cause I'm getting a ton of pushback because they're, they're not expecting me to be here. Um, 
that was a little snarky, so I would probably phrase it a little differently in, in the actual conversation. But the point is, you ask, you know, is it unreasonable of me to ask you to send out some notifications so that people aren't totally shocked when I show up? That would be a little bit, yeah. a little less snarky. Um, I can be snarky. Um, <laughs> and the thing of it is, is that you ask a question that automatically has the answer, no. No, it's not unreasonable. Okay, well, can we work together to figure out how to make this work better? Then? Yeah. Um, the reason the no-oriented question is so powerful, and then I'll, I'll we'll come back to the actual topic here, but this is a terrific tool in these kinds of situations, is because when you go to somebody and you want something and you think you're going to get resistance from them, you're going to get pushback, flipping it around so that they can answer what they want to answer, which is no, because nobody likes to say yes. You know, would you send out an email ahead of time? No. It's the answer she wants to give. Is it unreasonable of me to think it might be a good idea to let people know a little bit ahead of time so that they're prepared and don't wonder why in the world I'm showing up? No. That's the answer they want to give. Then you can move into, okay, well, how can we work together to make this better? Hmm. Interesting, because I came at it from, I mean, I came at it from the perspective you mentioned about maybe we want to send out notifications but as i've been with this customer a while so i've no i know ahead of time where those roadblocks are and i will suggest ahead of time okay here's where we are and here are the landmarks of when things need to be done some of which are notifications to the end users mm-hmm. and i just put those into you know my checklist that at you know 14 days out, we, and I stress it as we, we are going to send out an email notification. I'll draft it for you. Can you just send it or will you let me send it? And the answer is? Well, at, basically they're like, oh, if you draft it, I'll send it. Oh, well, okay. Then that's a workaround. That's <laughs> yeah. a workaround. Because yeah. if I just leave it to, hey, can you send out an email? You right. know, it might be, well, okay, I'll try or yeah, 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 yeah. In which case, you know, it's not going to happen. Right. But if if they're sending it out, if you draft it, then you've got a workaround. I mean, it's not at least that way, you know, you're communicating an a realistic fact based message versus something that somebody who doesn't necessarily know what's going on. Might right. Send. Well, the other reason I did that, and I don't know if this is going to play into this as or not. So the gatekeeper is not the person that signs the checks, is not the name on the door. And I have started doing this as a way to cover my behind. Of course. So that when the owner comes back and says, hey, why weren't we notified? I can sit there and say, I sent the email that they were supposed to send out and they said they would send it. Yep. Um, Kind of snarky, I guess. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, that's factual, you know. The reality is that as long as we're dealing with people, we're going to be dealing with people. And people have their thing going on. I mean, we have no idea what this gatekeeper's background is or what their, you know, what their life is at home or what it's that old thing. We just don't know what's going on for somebody. I had a client recently who 
consistently and repeatedly asked someone to do something that they just never got did. And it was not somebody that he could fire because it was on a board of directors for an organization. And they finally made her, this person, a board member emerita because she'd been part of the founding of the organization and took all responsibility off her. And now they can get somebody else on the board who can do it. So sometimes it does require playing the political workaround. Do we wish we didn't have to? Yeah. But, you know, there's an old saying, if wishes were horses, beggars would ride. Never heard that. It's old. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably kind of dated, too. Maybe it's if wishes were Teslas, beggars would drive Teslas. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, I'm considered old by a lot of standards in this in this uh, channel, so I, I'm going to have to go look that up. Yeah. Um, well, Grace, I, you know, you know, these are things that, there can be a lot of discussions on any of these points and we we've we were going to run out of time here, but I wanted to quickly ask you a couple of other things mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, what are some of the things that, that can derail projects? We talked about communication, difficult clients. The one that everybody always brings up in our industry is scope creep. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some tips that you can just quickly throw out on how we can handle that don't do it <laughs> I, seriously i i mean the temptation when one is dealing with a client is to say yes because you don't want to piss the client off right uh, i hope i'm allowed to say things like that on your podcast. yeah you can say that um <laughs> the thing is that if you know for yourself this is It's a boundary issue, right? I mean, everybody loves talking about boundaries. Boundaries are not for the other person. Boundaries are for you and your business. If you know that if somebody wants to tack on another day's worth of work, even if it's just one day's worth of work, that you are going to come back and say, you know what? I get that you really want to add this on. We have two options here. One is we can take something else out that is equivalent effort. The other is we can write a change order. The problem that I see happen a lot of times with scope creep is that it's kind of, it it's it creeps. It creeps up on you. It's you know an hour or two here. Oh, can you just make this little tweak? It's this there. But if you know in your bones that that is not something that you are going to let slide. It is not about the other person asking because they're going to they're going to ask. It's about you holding ground on hey, just very calm, very simple. You know what? Here's how it is. Yeah, this is and and you're always going to do some little things. I mean, it's a five minute thing. I'm not saying don't you know write a change order for a five minute thing, but if you know that you're going to say no, you know what? It's not. No, I'm not going to do that. It's here's our, I, I totally understand what you need here. I can see why it's a benefit to the project. Let's talk about how we can make that happen. One way is to take out something that is now a lower priority. The other way is to write a change order to cover this extra work. And here's what that would look like. All right. So I'm going to say a reference here. The show Love It or List It. Do you know that show? No, I don't. <laughs> It's a show on HGTV 
that somehow I got roped into watching years ago. And it's one of the few HGTV shows that I love, but I only watched the beginning and I watched the end because the middle is just frustrating. But one of the things that always happens on that show, and it must be formulaic, is that the homeowners, you know, they'll give them a budget of, you know, a hundred grand to, you know, fix the home. And Mm -hmm. of course, midway through the project, they want to do something else. And the lady on the show always makes the comment, she goes, okay, I can do that, but I have to remove the bathroom upstairs. And they're like, well, wait a minute, we don't want to do, she's like, well, I either do that or you come up with more money. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I, I would take the butt out. I would do, well, we can do that. And here are two options for how to do that. Because butt is always a negative, Right. I have this great idea. Well, okay, it's an okay idea, but how about if? Right. I have this great idea. Oh, yeah, that, that's an okay idea. And how about if we add on this or change it this way? Hmm. It's a subtle tweak, but oh, man, those words matter. Those words really matter. All right. Well, this is what I hope we get more into uh, when we speak next. Uh, Grace, I want to tell everybody, so – uh, your main website, gracejudson.com, I'll have the link in the show notes. And for people that obviously want to engage with you and, and consider they obviously can can hire you, can can chat with you, but you've got a ton of resources on your website. So people can kind of go and look for stuff um, and get some information free. Yep. So there are a lot of articles there. I'm also very active on LinkedIn and I have a LinkedIn uh, every other week newsletter that I go into a little bit more um, tactical depth than I do in the articles on my website. So that's another resource too. All right. We'll have a link to all of that. Again, gracejudson.com. Uh, folks, go check that out. And obviously, hopefully you'll listen to this with enough time to plan to be here Wednesday, October 4th, 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we're probably just going to do a uh, quick recap and tackle a couple of more of these and then open it up for questions and answers. Are, yeah. are you I okay with that? Oh, yeah. It's going to be fun. All right. Well, Grace, thanks for hanging out with me, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank and you. for you listeners, hope that you got some good insight here and obviously come back for more and hang out with me and my new friend, Grace. <laughs> And uh, since this is an audio show and people won't see it, they may see it on the live show, but your cat graced us with her presence walking across oh, the screen. Yeah. <laughs> he, he had a very stressful day yesterday with the roofers that we had banging around overhead and I couldn't let him out. So mm. he's a lot happier today. All right. Uh, Grace, thanks a lot. And uh, we'll sign off here and look forward to next Wednesday's show. Looking forward to it. All right, folks. We'll see you then. And until then, holla.